This is team roping, but here it's from a totally new perspective. It's time to train your brain and start thinking out of the box. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Out of the Box Podcast. I am here with Drew and a special guest. So, Drew, thanks for being on, and uh, please introduce our guest for us. So, Audra, this this one's kind of near and dear to my heart. Uh, a few years ago, I met this guy that we're going to bring on uh, down at a ride in right outside of L.A., and everybody was like, man, this, this, this gentleman's a stud. He's a, he's a football coach. He was at SC at the time, D1 coach, and uh, he was at a team roping. And, Coach, I remember you reached out to me after the roping because yeah. you placed and you wanted me to print out print out the the uh, results because I can't remember if you won like third or fourth in that roping or something. Yeah, yeah, I did. But I wanted proof because it was the first time I'd ever roped in a competition. Oh, it what? That was the first time? That was my first one ever. I did not know that. Well, I tell you what. So everybody, this is my good friend, dear friend. He's been my life coach for the last, since then, basically. This is John Baxter. Uh, currently, he's coaching at Fresno. Coaching ball over there, special teams coach. And, uh, buddy, thanks so much for jumping on here. It means the world to me personally to have you come on. And like I said, you you have helped so much. You are a guy that is not just a football coach. You Your strategic planning, your mental game, which is what this podcast is all about, is unbelievable. And, you know, you've done some things with businesses over the last handful of years. You're so much more than just a football coach. And when Audra and I were talking about who, who's got the best mental game that we know, you were instantly the first guy I thought of because, because of what you and I've gone through. I mean, you're the guy that had me in tears at two o'clock in the morning, digging out my soul, you know, right? but, uh, but pal, tell, tell everybody, tell us about yourself. So from the horse's mouth, who John Baxter is. Well, uh, this will be my, uh, I went to college in 1981. Um, so anybody can calculate my age off of that. And, uh, I've been on a college campus every day of my life since 1981. So, uh, with the exception of, uh, the COVID years where I didn't get to coach, um, this will be my 42nd year of college football. Um, and this will be my 39th season in division one. So, uh, I've coached every position in the game except the quarterback. Um, I've been a special teams coach for almost all of my career. Um, I've coached in every major conference in the Power Five, the ACC, SEC, Big Ten, Pac-12, and Big 12. And uh, um, and happy to regenerate. Uh, I've been special teams coach of the year once uh, nationally. And uh, in my first year back to Fresno State, we we uh, won the Mountain West Conference. We beat Washington State in the bowl game, and we finished number one in America in special teams efficiency. So we moved up ninety four places. Wow. So competition is what we're all about. And like we say, if you don't like competition, don't come here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you two. You and Audra are are cut from the same mold. I mean, she's one of the most competitive people I've ever met in my life. And, you know, Audra, you're, what you've done in your coaching career is amazing with the volleyball and what you've done at the school. And 
You know, so that the, I think this marriage well, is just I, absolutely perfect. I don't think I can really compete, but <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> I'm at the, you, know, you know what I'm, I'm talking basic, about. I mean, I've coached a little college. I'm at a basic high school level. I don't think that necessarily I can compete, but I, I mean, I do really appreciate having you on. And um, a question that I would ask you, Coach Baxter, is did you play in college? And then um, when did you discover that football was your passion? Well, interestingly enough. Uh, I can tell you this. I've told this story a handful of times, but when when I was in third grade, our PE teacher's name was Mr. Mason. And, you know, in, in elementary school, when you go for your PE class and you line up after class because you're getting ready to go back to your classroom, which we all called prison. OK, when you're getting ready to go back to jail, like you got a couple minutes left. And so I was talking to the teacher and I said, I was thinking, man, does this look like a fun job? So I said, how did you get to be the gym teacher? Well, I don't, don't remember almost anything after this next phrase. He said, well, you know, I went to college and I majored in physical education. I was like, wait, you had to go to college to do this? <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't know how to play games, right? I mean, that's what kids do. But I thought, that's the coolest job ever. You know, one period after another, these kids all come down there and they, they get to play basketball and gymnastics and soccer and and uh, softball and, and, and all these games, and he gets to play with the kids seven periods a day. Or you could be the math teacher in there trying to t tell us why they put the letters with the numbers. I mean, this is ridiculous. You know? <laughs> so so anyway, I came home and I told my mom, you know, mom, I know what I want to be. She said, what's that? I go, I want to be the gym teacher. Well, basically, that's all I am. I'm just a well-compensated PE teacher. That's what I am. And, you know, Teaching, all, all you're really, all you're really doing, really, uh, where I don't think you should discount your work as a coach, because what a coach is is a person who takes on where they can't take themselves, and it's all relative. And you're, you know, like Drew, you know my line. We're here to do one thing: inspire competitive excellence. Mm -hmm. Okay, and competitive excellence, you know, tends to be uh, higher and higher tolerances. You know, the higher you go, but like I always say, talent is the raw material. Technique is the finished product. Champions love the work. Wannabes love the idea. You know, mm -hmm. a lot of people want to be champions, but the champions love the work. Anyway, early on, yes, I, I, I knew that I wanted to coach. And when I first got to college, I went to a small college in Iowa. The first thing I did is go tell the coaches, hey, by the way, like, I really want to learn the game. And they're like, what do you mean? I go, well, I used to hang out in the coach's office in high school. Can I hang out in the coach's office here? And they were like, sure. Guys, they wanted to be out running around and doing stuff, and I wanted to be learning strategy. And so that's kind of where it started. And then as soon as I got done in college, I, I applied for a graduate assistantship where I got on at Iowa State. And in 1986, that's when my Division One coaching career began. Did you, So did you play in college then? Or did you just basically want to – knew that you wanted to try to learn the game to coach it? Well, I ultimately was a better hockey player than a football player. And I always thought that would be the way I went. And then when I went to college, my career quickly changed, changed courses during my second year of college when the coach was like, you know, I think you'd be a way better coach than a player. And that's kind of the way it went. So ultimately, yeah. my career did not finish as a player. It, it began and finished as a coach. Wow, that's cool because I feel like for me, I didn't know I wanted to be a coach or that I had a, a 
like a special skill with it until I played through college and then I kept playing and that was the only, the next step was, well, you can't play professionally. So, well, I could have, but I didn't want to go overseas. And I was like, well, I guess the next step is to jump into coaching. That's when I realized, but that was way after college. It's kind of cool that you already knew, kind of knew that you were, you had that skill before you even left college. Well, there's something too that, that I can tell you, I think I, you know, I'm Irish, so I cry at stop signs. But, you know, there's something I can tell you, I think, without getting too choked up. But my college coach is still alive, and my high school coach passed away three weeks ago. My high school coach was 95, okay? Wow. But in high school, when I told my coach, and there's a lot of history here as to what my academic background is and how I start, how I wrote the book about academic game plan and those things, but when my high school coach asked me, well, you know, with these grades, what do you want to do with your life? And I told him I wanted to coach. At that point, he could have belittled me and said, well, you're not going anywhere with these kind of grades. He said, you know what? I think you'll be a fantastic coach if that's what you want to do. You have a mind for the game. You love to compete. You have a good way about people, but you got to change your habits in the classroom. Okay, that's a whole side story. And then he said this, understand this. That coaching is not a decoration and it's not a promotion. It is a call to service. Mm -hmm. You are there at the service of the young people who you are teaching and coaching. Okay? Great coaches don't, don't talk about the symptom. They talk about the cause. Mm -hmm. They help young people understand why what's happening is happening and how to correct it. Anybody can tell a wide receiver, you need to catch that pass. The great coach teaches them how. So the great coach, the master coach, already knows what mistake an amateur is going to make. Mm -hmm. I mean, Drew can tell you that if he hands a rope to any person for the first time and says, swing the rope, they're going to swing it with their palm up. Why? I don't know. It's counterintuitive because you need to swing it with your palm down. Mm -hmm. okay. okay. Well, that said, and then the, the second part of the statement is, is this is the part that still chokes me up to this day, is he said, understand this that the term coach is a term that's earned and it's a term of endearment. And at some point in your life, you're going to go into this way of life and someone is going to blurt out the word coach and refer to you. You better understand that you're going to be one of the most significant people in their lives. Uh, maybe sometimes even more significant than maybe even their parents. Okay. It is a profession where you, you, you hold people's hopes and dreams in the palm of your hand and you can accelerate them or you can crush them. But he said, no matter what, once somebody calls you coach, you better understand that you better never tarnish that word. Just like when you go into court and they call the judge your honor or you go to a medical place and they call a person doctor, um, it is a term that's earned and it's a term that's uh, valued and ultimately very important and you better never tarnish it right. and thank and hopefully i never have yes. well audra audra you and i had that conversation about one of your players you know that you've dealt with that that basically called you up after after a season and said you know you were one of the only people in my life that actually held me accountable mm -hmm. and and was very appreciative of that so it's it's not just the game it's it's what you leave these players with yeah, and I, I could say this too, because I coach at a small high school. We're not very high level, but 
Um, but we have, we've had a lot of success, but I will say this, it kind of doesn't matter the level, you know, you can affect somebody's life regardless of if they're the first time they've ever played the sport or they've been playing for 10 years. So right. it doesn't matter where you're doing the work. It matters that you're doing the work. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's all that matters. And so, you know, and that, that kind of leads us into this whole competitive excellence thing because off the field problems become on the field problems. Like a person who cuts the corner in the classroom is going to cut the corner on the practice field and they're going to cut the corner in the game. You're either a corner cutter or you're not. Mm-hmm. And if you want to aspire to competitive excellence, there is an integral, integral way to do this. And it all matters. Everything matters. And when you get your whole self in alignment, that's when competitive excellence starts to happen. So here's another question. Let's say that, you know, you have a player or kid who is innately had issues their whole, their whole, their whole life. They've, they've been the kid that's cut the corners. They've been the kid that's ditched class. They've done this. I mean, how do you describe to that kid or that person to change their behavior? And do you think that that is something that can't be changed? Do you think that there's certain people that you've coached that you just said, I, I can't fix, I can't fix their personality. I can't make them want that competitive edge. Or do you think that that is mostly coach driven? I can say that the answer lies somewhere in the middle there. Mm-hmm. There's some truth to let leopards don't change their spot. Okay. Um, there's some truth to, if you listen to them, they will tell you who they are, mm-hmm. right? When you look at horses and you go evaluate a horse prospect to buy, I mean, all of a sudden, when you get them home, are they themselves or are they way different? Okay. And I think people are a version of themselves. So hopefully you stand for what's right. You stand for what's true. Okay. And the culture of your, your organization is, is in good shape. Then at that point, when people come into the program, they aspire through your help to be part of the culture you've created. But I'm going to tell you that if I'm going to take credit for the all-conference and all-American players I've coached, I have to also take credit for the ones I've cut for behavioral issues. Right. Bottom line is, is we talk about being a teacher and teach as an acronym. Take every athlete and coach him. But at the point that I want it more than they do, is the point that we have to separate. We can work through some behavioral issues, but at the core of their being, they have to want to compete to win. So have you had to make hard cuts that with kids that you felt like you were close to, but they just, you wanted it more than they did? Have you had to make those really hard decisions? Multiple times. And how did, how did you feel like, that would eat me up inside, you know, how, how did, how were you able to deal with, with that knowing you couldn't get them there, but at the same time, and you cared about them, but it was time to move forward. Well, typically it's after positive effort and then it becomes more or less when you get to the point where you realize that this person is sort of uh, like in terms of an illness is ill beyond repair. It's just, it's either you don't know, you don't care, or you're unable to. At the point that it becomes apparent that they don't care is the point that you have to cut ties, okay? If they get three strikes, four strikes, five strikes, I mean, eh, you know, right? One more time and you're going to your room. Mm-hmm. Um, comes a time that you have to cut bait. 
it's a horrible feeling because if you believe in people and you believe in teaching and coaching, it feels like you're taking an L. Mm-hmm. But for the good of the organization, you got to move on. I want to I want to take this a little bit. I'm going to throw a little team roping into this deal. So, coach, one thing that uh, you and I have talked about in the past, and you you know you we've done the iron sharpens iron, steel sharpens steel deal before. So this industry, the team roping industry, for sure is there is a big devoid. It, we we do not have coaches. We have guys that put on clinics. We do not have coaches. And you, you stepped in it. You and I have spent, you know, hours in your front yard, hours on the dummy, hours on the phone talking about this. What is, what is the importance of having an actual coach? Like you say it all the time, a coach takes somewhere where you can't take yourself. Correct. I completely believe that. And, and that is 100% the truth. Here we are in an industry that pays out $100 million to team ropers a year, and we don't have any coaches. What gives? Right. I'm no expert on what you guys do, okay? But if I take as an outsider looking in and look at something called a handicap system that's obviously taken from golf, okay, and and it's much more relevant and much more present in team roping than it even is in the sport that you took it from because imagine having an 18 handicap tournament where you play for, you know, more than they play for on the PGA Tour. Mm-hmm. I mean – you know, you guys have people roping at the at the dang South Point for way more than the guys who are going down the road all year. But I've had some people that have that have I've sought out for help, and so one of the things that that uh, I've they've asked at the end of clinics is, "What can I do better?" And I said, "Well, here's what you could do better. How would you run this clinic if you were only going to get paid based on how I perform at the end of day three in a jackpot? Mm-hmm. Would you teach differently?" Well, I'd teach a lot differently. Well, what would you do? Well, I'd be a heck of a lot more demanding. I'd be more intentional with the drill work. Well, then why don't you do that? Because, see, I get paid based on how we perform. And if we don't perform well, I don't get paid. Mm-hmm. In fact, I lose my job. And it gets talked about by Stephen A. and all these other know-it-alls on SPN <laughs> Sports Talk. Mm-hmm. Okay? They're real good at saying what they do, but none of them can bounce a damn ball. Okay? <laughs> so... So, yeah, but they're on there for entertainment. I used to love watching college game day every Saturday morning. I can't watch it anymore. It gives me an ulcer because they sit there and talk about who's on the hot seat, who's hot, who's in, who's this, who's that, you know, blah, blah, blah. Why don't we just go play the game? But they have 24 hours of programming. Okay, so back to my topic, okay? Uh, Coaching. Coaching is is outcome-based performance. It means we have to know what our defined outcome is, and then we do it until we get it or until we run out of time. So in golf, every one of those pros has a swing coach. Every one of those pros has kind of a mental edge coach. In tennis, right, they all have a tennis coach. But yet, here we are in pro rodeo, okay, and then, of course, you know, the World Series of team roping, and... You know, we got a bunch of guys who are highly competitive with high numbers, but they can't teach it, okay? And if they do teach it, you know, you're paying to spend time, big money to spend time with somebody for two days, but how much better am I at the end of it? And I really don't need you telling me how good I'm doing. You need to tell me what the mistakes are I'm making, why I'm making them, and how I can correct them, and then 
you know, it's all about follow-up and putting it into a practice routine. Coach, how, how often in that situation, just like with the guys, I, I believe that people are people. It doesn't matter if you're team ropers or football players. Right. Well, that, that guy that you have on the football field that is talented with the speed, with the hands, with whatever it is, with being able to read the plays, that they just do it, just like some people just rope good. Th- that Just because they do it well does not qualify them to coach because they may not even know how or why they do it. Isn't that the case? Correct. Okay, but when I said this this morning in my meeting, we just had to play, we just released the players uh, to go back to class here a little while ago. Talent is the raw material. Technique is the finished product. When you play at the highest level and the tolerances get tighter is when you have to be technically the best. And one of the things that I believe in is that when pressure is applied and the situation gets hot, right, you don't rise to the level. You usually sink to the level of your training. Okay. And that's what training and repetition is about is putting things into place Okay, like in team roping, which it begins with horsemanship, but of course everybody starts with ground lessons. Right? Really, we need to be talking about horsemanship, okay? And and then we talk about putting our swing in place. But you know, it's just so funny that yeah, there's these talented people and all that kind of stuff. But the bottom line is, talent is the raw material. Techniques the finished product. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you don't just find just the talented people that end up winning championships. It's not just, it's not just, Oh, I just relied on just my talent. And that's why I, now they get, sometimes they get there faster. They can get to a different level than someone else. But eventually what ends up happening is those people usually don't, don't win the championship or they don't get, because if their training isn't where their natural talented ability is, then someone else can surpass them based off of their training. Well, and let's look at team roping, right? I didn't start till I was 50, okay? And and what happened is, you know, I've had a couple of these horsemanship guys that have shamelessly stolen my line, okay, <laughs> which is this. Well, why did you get into this? Well, here's the deal. There's one thing that ends every com- – there's one physical thing that ends every competitive athlete's career. What is it? They lose their legs, At some point, when you can no longer play the game explosively from the waist down, even Tom Brady eventually loses his legs, okay? Um, Michael Jordan loses his legs. The reason why Michael Jordan ended his career averaging 20 points a game? Lost his legs, okay? Well, that said, what does a horse do? He gives him your legs back. What other sport do we know that a 55 or 60-year-old Man can compete in a jackpot with a 12-year-old girl. The horse is the equalizer, right? So it just, it just all of a sudden when I found T-Rome and I stopped liking golf, right? It became totally fascinating to me because you're talking about two athletes now trying to get into partnership. And so it's just kind of become this, this thing that I had time for, I had the money for. Um, but let me tell you something. I'm 59 years old. I'll be 60 in June. And I don't really enjoy going someplace to donate money. Like, I actually want to win. I come out here and I'm like, can you tell me the difference between a medium hard, a hard medium, medium soft, soft medium, you know, 30 foot, 35 foot. We had, we must had 20 ropes laid out in my front yard. People driving by the house. This is down in Southern California in Los Angeles. Like, 
it looks like an Easter egg hunt for for team ropes. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, we're not leaving this yard till I understand what this all means and why I need to use a certain rope. I can go to a golf store and get fitted for golf clubs. I can't go anywhere and get fitted for a stinking team rope. Yeah. <laughs> and somebody says, oh, you shouldn't be using that rope. You should be using this rope, you know, while they're pounding the course light. How did you, like, know about team roping? Did, who, did someone introduce you to it? Did you grow up with it? I mean, how did you know about it and then start it at the age of 50? Okay, so what happened is I was in uh, Fresno, and the long story short is in 1999, I was making, I was filming the videotape instruction for a company that I own called Academic Game Plan, where we teach study skills to young people. And so one of the things is, is, is I was differentiating this this thing about uh, um, not knowing or not understanding. Okay, and so what I was doing to create a scenario is this is like, well, let me think of this. And I saw these guys team roping. There's a guy named Jack Hanna who just passed away, who was a singer in the Sons of the San Joaquin. And I said, can you show me how to to throw this rope? And so he started showing me how to how to build a loop and how to spin the rope and all that kind of stuff. And 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 basically what it came down to is this whole thing of, well, if you don't if you understand it, but don't know it, well, then you need more repetition. But if you don't understand it. No amount of repetition is going to clear it up. You need outside influence. You need a coach. You need to get this thing broken down. Well, in the process of shooting that, I became fascinated with building a loop and throwing a rope. Mm-hmm. Okay? And I'm like, how do you do this? So then I just started going over there after work and roping the dummy. And then I had a couple of guys say, hey, we're going to go out and brand calves. you want to go with us? Yeah, what do you do? Well, just ride along and just keep them lined out. Okay? So I did that. And then I recruited Bear Pasco to Fresno State. And, and when I got to know Bear Pasco and his dad, his dad taught me basically how to throw a rope. Okay. And then that kind of started. And then it was like this sickness that I had that (laughs) I couldn't get enough. Okay. And then I'm like, this isn't enough. I got to find somebody to really teach me. Okay. And there's a really fascinating set of stories that went with all of that because it quickly became where I went for instruction. And I ended up teaching the teachers. <laughs> you know? How to teach? <laughs> it's it's a true statement, Audra. So, like when I was down there, when Coach and I we we went down. So the backstory there is I took Isaac down when he was thirteen to to SC. Coach was Coach was there at SC, and so I wanted Isaac to see what it was like to play D one ball. And I'm going to publicly say this: the reason that that my son is at Texas Tech playing D one ball right now is because of this guy right here with us. Because without Coach Baxter taking the time and showing him and going through all of this stuff that we went through on the backside of this with Isaac's mental game, going from a C student to an A student to you know now playing D one ball. He took the time to do that. But during that trip, we were roping a sawhorse. And I will never forget this. And I always thought I was a pretty good teacher because I, you know, my communication announced and whatever. And we're ro- roping the sawhorse. I have never had anybody like like I would I would match anybody in the country teaching somebody how to rope. And coach starts grilling me while I'm teaching him how to rope the sawhorse. And I was like, God damn it. Nobody's ever put me on the spot like this. And all he was doing was, was getting the why on everything. Like, and like, even though he understood it, he was trying to help me understand 
like you, you, you phrase it the right way, coach, and I can't remember what you said, but it like I'm trying to teach you how to teach somebody to do this. Right. I may not know it, but I'm teaching you how to teach. And it was right. it was eye opening because it was like oh, I'd never looked at it like that. Because you were like, why? Why are you doing that? Right. Why are you telling me to do this? And I was like, well, you know, you just spin it around your head, whoop it down there. That's what yeah. you do. You know, right. like that whole thing I said is is the great coaches don't don't. Coach based on a symptom, the case coach based on the cause. Mm-hmm. Yep. What's causing this? Yep. Why is the tip of the rope acting like that? Mm-hmm. Right? You know, so, like, okay, so maybe maybe we have enough time for this, but it begs the question I can tell the story about hazing, right? Oh, gosh. So, hey, hey so you, you have got to tell the scoring and hazing stories. Like, this is the whole reason for the podcast are these stories yeah. right here. Okay. It's <laughs> old, and I want to learn how to team rope. And so I'm at a place that's a nationally renowned place. And, and all of a sudden it's, it, it gets down to this thing is like, coach, you got to catch your haze. You got to catch your haze. Well, I keep getting beat. To, I'm on the heel side. I keep getting beat to the wall. Coach, you got to get your haze. Now, first of all, they're calling me coach. That's what's crazy. You got to get your haze. Well, the haze is 10 feet out of the box. You got to get your haze. Okay. Finally, go, I, you know, I go, I, 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 I lose again. Okay. And I'm coming back, and they're all, like, staring at the ground with their fingers in their forehead. And I can tell by the bad body language, like, whatever. And he's like, I'm like, what? He goes, we've been through this. You have to get your haze. Okay, fine. I get off my horse. Hold this horse. Okay, come here. And I walk up to him. I go, there's three guys, three instructors. I walk up to him. I say, no, you two stay over there. Okay, tell me what haze means. And he goes, well, you know, heck, it's kind of like, you know, you just got to get up there. Okay, and I go to the other guy, I go, what's haze? He goes, well, you know, I know what it is, but, I mean, I can't put in words. You just, you know, look, you got to hustle, okay? So then I go over to the other guy who's the lead instructor, and I said, you mind telling me what haze means? And he goes, yeah. And he says, well, basically, you have to leave the box, when you see like the head out of the chute, I'm like, wait, head? You've been telling me, look at the hips. I've been looking at the hips the whole time. And the guy's like, well, you got to see the head out. I go, well, when were you going to reveal that to me? <laughs> All right. And he, I go, okay. So then, and then basically the steer he has to see the heel horse before he sees the head horse. I go, okay, good. All you guys get together. All right. You, person A, give your definition. Well, you just got to get person B. Well, it's kind of tough to put into words, but you got to hustle. Person C. Well, the, the the steer needs to see the heel horse before it sees the head horse. Because what I thought Hayes meant is right out of the box, down the arena, packing my rope going, hey, 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 hey. <laughs> All right? If I can't pay you to teach me what a basic term Hayes means, then what am I paying for? So then we go to the other side. Right. Or we're, we're sitting there and or, or they're talking about hits. And so they're like, hey, score this steer. Gates open. Bam. I got my haze. No header. I was like, what are you guys doing? And they were like, coach, we said score. I go, this is the only freaking sport I know where you don't get points for score. <laughs> OK. OK. So then, OK, it means we don't go. Right before, uh, two runs later, right before the run, the instructor says to the header, score good on this one. Bam, 
bam, gates open. Header goes. I'm still sitting there. He goes, you mind telling me what you're doing? I go, you said score. Let's play red light, green light. Does it mean go or don't go? Okay. I mean, kind of. Well, well kind of go. <laughs> it, it, yeah. So all this is kind of funny, but it just shows you the level of instruction we're looking at. Okay. Talents to raw material, techniques to finish product. If I'm going to be a talk to team rope, start me at the basics. Tell me what the words mean. Well, and I'll say this, and this coming from a, a volleyball side, I'll tell you, I know a lot of coaches that don't know the basics, that they watch a video, say, okay, I'm going to emulate what this video shows. And if you ask them, well, what does this mean? They're like, good question. So I always try to say, like, if I'm coaching with other coaches who I know are new, I try to get them on the same verbiage so that we're all in an understanding. So they're not just watching YouTube videos and saying, well, he said to snap your wrist. Well, there's no such thing in volleyball. I'll just put this out there. If you hear a coach say snap your wrist, they don't know what they're talking about. There's no such thing. And it's been proven that that's not a thing. So when they tell a kid, snap your wrist, snap your wrist, the kid's like, what, how, what do you mean? What do I do? And then they don't know how to explain what that means. I got to tell, I got to throw a quick story in here and, and I'll use one name, but not the other name. So uh, a buddy of mine, Brett Beach was telling me this. He, he was he was down in South Texas and a big name guy was putting on a roping clinic down there and, and called Brett and said, Hey Brett, will you come over and, you know, help me with this clinic? Just turn some steers and stuff. I got some guys that, you know, that kind of need some help. And Brett's like, yeah, no problem. So Brett goes over there and all day long, Brett's turning steers and just kind of there. He's not the instructor. He's just there, even though Brett is a great instructor. So all day long, Brett's watching. This is kind of like a higher level healing clinic. And Brett's like, man, this guy's not saying anything about timing at all. Doesn't say anything. And these are higher level ropers, higher level healers that should understand timing. So at the end of the day, they get done. It's a two-day clinic. And they get done. And Brett says, hey, do you think maybe you should talk about timing with these guys? And the instructor's like, well, you think I should? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I do. I really think you should talk about timing. He goes, okay, you're going to be here tomorrow, right? Yep, I'll be there tomorrow to help you. So Brett says the next day they show up, everybody's gathered around like we are at a clinic, and the the main instructor opens up and says, all right, guys, today we're going to today we're gonna teach you about timing. And Brett Beach right here is going to show you how to do it. High-level guy had no idea how to teach timing, and like one of the greatest, you know, and it's just that kind of deal. Like we, we get trapped with that, and, you know, that's what's made it kind of tough. And we've got all these videos and everything. Ro kids roping are getting way better, way faster now because of technology, you know. But there's a lot of things that we still to this day, we don't have roping coaches. I sat down with Ren Richard a week ago. His whole family are football coaches. They're Utah. They're football coaches. They're, they're all great athletes. He made the decision not to go play. He was like an outside linebacker type guy. And he made the decision to go rodeo and, and make the NFR and be one of the guys in our industry instead of going and playing football. But he comes from a family of that. And he said, he told me with his words, he said, it blows my mind that we don't have coaches coming from a coaching family. Competing is a profession. Mm -hmm. Coaching is a profession. There you go. Yeah. How many people do both well? Okay. Yeah. How so Really and truly. You, you invest in the profession of coaching. Let's talk mental game. Coach, mental game on the field, 
and I'm going to preface this by telling this story real quick. Last year was your, well, two finales ago now, was your first trip to the finale. First and only. First and only because it was the one year you weren't coaching football. December is not the best time if you want to be a team roper and go to the finale and be an NCAA football coach. Like the time just doesn't really work, especially if you're bowl game eligible. Right. So you get to go and you roped with Aaron Shelley. Right. Talk to me about you and I have talked about the game plan, but talk to me. And you asked me after the fact, percentage wise, you did very, very well there. Talk to me about your mental game as a team roper showing up to the finale. You've been in every bowl game in the world. You've coached for every team you've coached for. We all know the names of, for, you know, you've been in high level games. Talk to me about that back in the box, how it all correlates. Yeah. Okay. So I think this is a, a pretty fascinating story uh, because here's the thing. As you know, I called you up and I tried to talk you into doing a podcast. Because I'm like, mm-hmm. let's do a podcast about what it's like to go to the World Series for the first time. Mm-hmm. How come? Well, because I was trying to, like, get the information, okay? And like, <laughs> well, it's all in the pamphlet. I don't want to read the pamphlet, okay? Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, you know, and then you get there and you see that thing and it's like, holy cats. This is the Rose Bowl of team roping, okay? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And so, but I knew that, okay, so here's the deal. Um I won second, I think, at San Luis at the Madonna Inn with Aaron Shelley, okay? And that was the only rope I could go to that summer, okay? And I'm like, hey, Aaron, do you want a rope? You know, I always, you know, I always always say, okay, whoever chooses the rope with me, see, I'm a good recruiter, but they're a bad evaluator, okay? (laughs) So, but, uh, and he's like, yeah. So sure enough, Aaron's out with everybody else and we win money. So he's like, do you want to go to Vegas? I go, I absolutely want to go to Vegas. This is my one year out of coaching. I'm not going to regret this. I'm going. Okay, let's go. So now I'm trying to get together because I don't plan on going to Vegas to have a good time. I don't care who's playing. I don't care what the concerts are. I don't gamble. I want to win. And I'm a three. three. Yeah. Well, you know why I'm a three? Because they don't have twos. Okay. (laughs) So, 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 yeah. So we go. And so here's what I did is I go, well, I don't have anybody really helping me. I'm going to revert to what I know best. What we always do is we get to the game a day beforehand and we have a walkthrough. And what we have, we call, we call ambiance. And what ambiance is, is we go to the stadium and we let the players take pictures and look around and do all that kind of stuff. So they get all the oohs and ahs out of their system. And when they go to bed, all they focus on is their job. And so I did, I did a couple things is, so the first day I got there and I figured out what time I would be about what time I would be roping. So I went and figured out, I saddled my horse about the time I would do it. I took it for a trail ride. I went down and looked around. I went in the practice pen. I loped around and got warmed up. And I figured like, this place is too chaotic. I got to find a different place. And I'm looking at all these people BSing and telling stories. And I'm like, I need to be intentional about my warm up. Okay. And then I went down in there and I saw how they called people out in certain groups. Okay. And then I, I watched one team roper go down to the arena and then I waited for him to come out. And then I went to this next pen with him and watched him rope there. And then I came back inside and I followed, I don't even know who it was, just some person. Okay. Really? Yeah. I didn't know you did that. Oh yeah. Guy 720 or whatever. Okay. Yeah. And, and then they went to the next one and then they went to the next one. And then I watched them. I go, and then, so I went, I go, what are they all waiting for there? Well, they're waiting to see, you know, where they get for their third steer. 
Okay. And then blah, blah, blah. So then I had a thing and I was like, I didn't saddle my horse soon enough. So the next day I knew I had to saddle it better. Okay. So, so then the next day, what I did is, is I had my routine and I knew kind of what I needed to do. So that stuff was put to bed. Cause see, I think most, most, most athletes and most teams lose in the tunnel. Okay. Really? They've lost the game before it starts because they got too many things they're thinking about that don't need to be thinking about. And somebody goes, well, I'm thinking too much. I go, yeah, you're thinking when you're supposed to be competing. Mm -hmm. Okay. There's time to think it's not now. Okay. So, so, uh, so then what happens is we get up that next day and then we're sitting in that waiting pen and I'm trying to eliminate the chaos. And I think, you know, the story, but when you were in Montana and you were doing that video with your, with your, uh, head camera on the GoPro, right? Yep. The GoPro. And you were having your, throwing your heel shots down there. And I had snipped two or three of those out. I filmed my computer with my iPhone and I had your rope working. And so I was sitting there waiting to go. And all I was doing is playing slow motion, those heel shots over and over and over and seeing the tip go across and the bottom strand come back to me over and over and over. Well, then they called my name and Aaron goes, you nervous? I said, I'm ready to go. Okay. And, and, uh, so, you know, we went down there and I go, well, what's nerves? Nerves is God's way of telling you, this is a big deal. They're supposed to be there. It's a heightened sense of awareness. And if you can harness that heightened sense of awareness, you can compete because you use it as fuel as long as your mental picture's right. So we got down there and I'm in the box and we get announced and we go out and I rope the first one clean. Okay. And I was like, damn, it happened so fast. I didn't even remember it happening. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we go out, we go to the second steer. I roped the second one clean, but Aaron broke the barrier. Sorry for that, Aaron. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Way to bust the barrier in the number nine, Aaron. I don't think your $50,000 head horse was going to get outrun. Okay. <laughs> All right. So now we're going here and he's like, hey, you're doing great. Keep it together. I go, you just need to rope. Okay. I'll be fine. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. So we go to the third but the steer went left, so I had to get him going up the other wall, and I legged him. Bottom line is how it came out is I did rope all four steers into number nine, but fell out of the money. Yeah. Didn't they give one, you? Didn't they give you another one, Coach? Isn't that why? Or, or did you guys get to come back to the consolation? Uh, we came back to the consolation. Yeah. So so yeah. So, so you had four pissed. steers in Vegas and caught them all yeah, as a three. Because I, <laughs> I wanted money. Okay. Yeah. And, okay, whatever. The point was, though, is mentally I was able to keep that together because of a whole series of events of my pregame routine. Okay, you don't rise to the occasion. You sink to the level of your training and your preparation. If you prepare a little bit, so you walk through, you do all that, then you're taking away some of the unknowns that could trip you up game day, game time. Right. I'm taking as many variables off the table as possible to where I can keep it to me and my job. I, I'm here to tell you, just like you, Coach, I remember the first time I went to the U.S. Finals. You walk in, and it's mind-blowing. Like, the last thing you're thinking about is rope and steers. That's got to be the way your players are when they walk yeah. on the field at the Rose Bowl or whatever bowl or, or any game. Like, I can't imagine walking out on the field at SC or somewhere like that for the first time with the however many tens of thousands of fans going crazy. Like, I don't care how good a freshman you are or, or whatever. Like, that has got to blow your mind. And that's all I did, Drew, is I reverted to 
what do we do to prepare players in a championship game? Mm -hmm. The crowd, the noise, mm -hmm. uh, the distractions, the family asking for tickets, everything. Mm -hmm. You got to take that stuff off the table because most people lose in the tunnel. You you were saying that, you know, you step step in and you prepare beforehand, but what happens when you can't emulate that? So, for example, if I know I'm going to we're going to play at state and we're going to have 150 um, you know, fans that are going to come watch, but no one ever comes to our games normally. How do you is there a way to recreate that or do you just, is that something that you can't do, but you just try to control everything else? Well, for example, uh, you know, at practice, for example, there's, 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 there's crowd noise at the game. We can't simulate crowd noise, but we can bring the, you know, those two giant Bluetooth speakers on a trailer right out there and, and play a playlist like ACDC or something else. Uh, you know, really loud, and it really doesn't matter if they even like the music, but just to create the distraction, okay? Right. And the bottom line is, is, is it's discretion over distraction, okay? You have to create distraction if you're going to deal with distraction, okay? Mm -hmm. Because all distraction, distraction is, is distract, off track. Um, so as, as many situations that, that uh, we can occur, whether it's like, Okay, here's the game scenario. Here's what's going to happen or, you know, whatever else, um, you know, and then put the music on and those kinds of things to just basically steal their ability to communicate from them. So, yeah, you can't create the uh, exact situation, but you can simulate parts of it. You know, one of the things that I did before I went there is I did some work on the helomatic because that's what I had. Okay. And, uh, and so I tried to set up a situation where, uh, maybe three days beforehand, even though that's all I had was a helomatic and I didn't have live steers. I said, okay, I'm going to rope one steer every 15 minutes. Okay. And I rope till, till I, do, I don't. Okay. Notice that there's, you know, you ever, you ever hear the term make small, miss small. Mm -hmm. Hey, we don't use that term. We say aim small, make small. Mm -hmm. So I don't even want that word in my vocabulary because there's power in words. And so what I did is, is I went and I roped and then I roped again. And on the third one, let's say it didn't go my way. Well, I had to unsaddle and go home. Okay. I had to use whatever resources I had. I didn't get the chance to run any live cattle before going to Vegas. Wow. All I had was a helomatic in my mind. And truthfully, that's all you need. You know, when I say a lot of times teams lose in the tunnel, Mm -hmm. Like in a football scenario, all of a sudden we go to a bowl game and it's it's a it's a one game game. It's a one game season. Right. But, you know, there's 50 percent your fans, 50 percent their fans. All my family and friends want to come to the game. Um, you know, like the first time we played at Notre Dame and my mom said, honey, can you give me 38 tickets? I'm like, mom, the thing's been a sellout since. You know? OK, but. That 38 tickets, you know, I had to beg, borrow, and steal to get those tickets, correct? Mm -hmm. That's a distraction from my job. Right. Okay. So you got to learn to deal with those and compartmentalize those because then you get to the arena and then all of a sudden people talk about, man, I get really nervous. Well, that sounds just the nature of that statement like a really negative thing. Mm -hmm. So do nerves overcome people? 
Well, certainly they do. Well, in actuality, the nerves don't overcome people. You rope like you rope. You, you, you play volleyball like you play volleyball. You shoot baskets like you shoot baskets. What they're not used to is that level of rush of adrenaline, that level of, of heightened awareness. And so because it only happens very few times in life, people don't know how to deal with it. The fact of the matter is, is that is a, that is a design part of our biochemistry that's there for situations when it calls for heightened levels of focus, heightened levels of performance. Um, and, but if you've never felt it before, it's a horrible feeling. If you felt it before, that's what keeps getting us out of bed. That's what keeps us entering these things. Coach, let me jump in here real quick because I have never, out of all of the times that you and I have talked about this and I've competed and whatever, I have never looked at it like this. So, you know, you talk, you talked about it that you know we don't rise to the occasions. We we fall back on we sink to on our training. Yeah, we sink to the level of our training. So so here you are saying the exact same thing in different words. And I, th- that's why when we use the old vernacular, winners win, you know, right. you learn, how, you learn how to win. The reason, the reason that people learn how to win, like this, this is more of a blanket statement that I'm thinking about as I, as I say it, the reason you learn how to win and be accustomed to winning is because you are in that situation more than the next person is. Right. And so you've got accustomed to that. You can manage the adrenaline. You can manage all of that stuff. I've never thought about it like that. But that that's a great way to look at it. If we've got the preparation involved, the only thing is we, we will definitely, at the finale, you're going to swing your rope a little harder. You're going to ride. You're going to override your horse, not because of anything other than your flight or fight response. Right. It's just the way it is. Right. I always say... Just going, like, for my example, going to the state tournament, you know, you can't buy that experience. You can't buy that level of emotion. There's no way of even emulating it other than being a part of it. And because we play in a big stadium arena with four courts and it's all going at the same time and it's not anything like we see during season. So I'll take kids who I know are going to be talented and I want to throw them kind of into that and let them see it so that the first year they get that out of their system so that they kind of know the next few years. And I always say, you know, everyone's like, oh, you might have a a building year or whatever. And I said, well, I luckily have kids who have experienced that. So when we, when time comes that we do have to go to that state tournament, then they're ready and they're prepared because they did it last year and they know it's not as scary as it feels at the moment. You get what you train for. So what does that mean? Well, let's just take golf. Let's take Tiger Woods during his heyday. Is there less pressure on Tiger Woods than everybody else in the field? Does he just not get nervous? Is he somehow immune to the butterflies in the stomach? No, he gets them too. Okay. It's, it's like Drew said, it, it is the way we are wired in our DNA for fight or flight. Okay. Mm-hmm. But I always say, you know, imagine in life, if you never did something where you got out of bed in the morning or, and you maybe couldn't even sleep all night. And you're so passionate about it that it, A, not only kept you awake, but B, when you woke up, you had a stomach ache the whole day till you got to go do it. Mm-hmm. Okay. I want the stomach ache because it's 
what I have conditioned myself to do is that's the biochemistry of something big's about to go down. Something right. big's about to happen. And, and so rather than let that eat me up, I allow it to heighten my focus. So when I said that I took those videos of, uh, and I drew, I've showed you those videos, right? That I, mm-hmm. yep. with my iPhone, uh, I, 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 I've shot my computer screen and I had them in my iPhone and I'm just watching, you know, the tip of my rope and the top strand go around and the, and the bottom strand come back to me. And I watched it over and over. Well, why did I do that? Because when you get that fight or flight syndrome and you get that heightened sense of awareness and these butterflies or these nerves or whatever people want to say about it, what happens is it's like, and your mind goes black. And it's like, I just ran this seven second run. And what'd you see? I didn't see anything. The point is disciplined eyes make disciplined feet. Disciplined eyes make disciplined hands. That is an absolute. You can always trace a foot problem to an eye problem. You can always trace a hand problem to an eye problem. So when I was sitting there, I was just using the resources that I had that I've been training athletes with on my one and only chance at the finale to discipline my eyes because I knew I was going to go down that arena and I didn't want to go blind. That wasn't time for a bunch of BS. So I didn't want to go there to donate. So I was like, if I spent the money to come here, the time, the effort, the energy, why would I blow it in the last mm-hmm. 24 hours? I I, th- I think that is probably the most powerful thing that you could say to somebody going to that situation. Like, Coach, what was the book that, that was uh, – it was written years ago. I think it was the – I think it was a tennis book. It kind of made its rounds. But uh, it, the bottom line is there was a – there was a quote in there. I read it, but it was, man, it was like in my teens or early 20s. Anyway, what they talked about is basically that it takes to get focused, like we can over-focus, but if you give yourself like 10 seconds, you can get back to that spot. You don't have to sit there and grind your mind for hours and just overload it, but if you take like, it takes 10 seconds to to get dialed in, yeah. and I can't remember if that's exactly what the time is or what it was, but I, I always was like, you know, because I would think I'd go to Ropens and I would overthink it all day long. Right. You know, like, but I didn't jack around, you know, but when it was time, you get by yourself and you re- you focus on the job at hand and you go through that stuff, you know. Well, let me tell you something. Focus works like a light switch. Right? You click it on, you click it off. Well, that sounds great. Okay? The problem is you can't use the light switch if you haven't wired it and installed it. Mm-hmm. So you have there to you practice go. going in and out. And the number one thing that creates focus and calm assertive energy is control of your breath. Okay. And so I learned a breathing technique that I've taught to my players. Okay. And we can do it. We can do it right here and I can make you guys do it right here. But if you take, You know, we usually breathe through our mouth and we do real shallow breathing. But if you take and breathe through your nose, like a long 10-second breath with your mouth closed and just go. And hold it and release it slow, you will actually feel the back of your eye sockets relax. Okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you learn how to belly breathe through your nose. When I started roping at 50, what do you think it is that prevents people from doing it? 
Well, they don't want to go out there and get laughed at. You know? Yeah. yeah. Well, here's a rope. Here's a horse. I mean, there's a whole lot of really wild stuff going on there. Right? But the number one thing is that might prevent me from just stopping over at a friend's house and going, hey, how do you do this? Or when do you do this? I don't want to be made fun of. Mm-hmm. You know, I still had a lot of friends in Vegas. Look, at the end of the day, I wanted to at least look good. You know, yeah. I wanted to at least, you know, not go in there and dump my rope. So whether it was fear of failure that motivated me or wanting to win that motivated me or whatever it was. Or a combination. Or a combination. That's all a bunch of BS. You got to have installed that light switch and you got to know how to turn it on, turn it off. Now, I'm telling you what, I was probably the worst roper there, but I might have had the best light switch. Wow. I might have had the best control of my breath. I might have had the ability to be like, I walked in a stadium at the South Point. Now, I don't know what that main arena holds. Okay. But if that was a football game, that would have been like a New Mexico Lobo home game. Right there, all nine fans would have been at the game. Right? Okay? So, yep. Yeah. Most of the people are drinking their Coke, talking to their friends. How many people were really watching me? I don't know, my wife and about three friends. Okay? So at the end of the day, who cares? This is just about me doing my best in a moment. That whole thing about uh, the man in the arena, right? Theodore Roosevelt. Now, that came from a speech that he gave in France, and it was like a one-paragraph thing that came out of like a 14-page speech, okay? But when, when he says in that, in that passage that he says, at least I'll never have to sit with those cold and, or timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat, right? Mm-hmm. When you start listening to the fans and listening to the critics, you're going to be sitting with them, okay? And... I don't plan on that ever happening, right? Mm -hmm. Win, lose, or draw, I'm out there to get something done, okay? I want to create that feeling, you know, uh, uh, in my stomach. Now, you see all these younger younger kids these days all talk about anxiety this, anxiety that. (laughs) Anxiety means something's about to go down here, and it's really big, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. It's just we don't get in that situation often enough to learn how to— how to how to gain control of it and i'm not saying manage it i'm saying control it this is me this is my body i'm in control of it yeah big difference between managing and controlling that's for sure right yeah 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 then i might rope good i might not rope good but let me tell you i get i at least gave myself a fighting chance and and for those of for those of you listening this is a guy who's a number three and so if if don't ever let that number scare you away either. I mean, you take one of your legs away, you take the barrier that Aaron has. I mean, you know, your whole your whole day changes. Right. Right there. If the barrier know. goes away and I, I leg the last two steers, we walk away with a lot of money. Yeah. Okay. What can I say? I gave our team a chance to win. Did we? Yep. No, but I gave us the chance. I didn't go dump yep. my rope. You know, Coach, what, what I was sitting here thinking as you were talking and, you know, us guys that announce, there's a, there's a reason you haven't seen me competing very much because it's hard. If, if I'm announcing and I've got, and I'm dealing with interviews and whatever up at the sports desk and I'm going to run down and find my horse, even if I have, even like you, like, hey, Coach, take care of my heel horse for me. Yeah. Okay. 
Okay, well, then I got to go find my heel horse, and I got to run down, and I'm running down, and oh, shit, I left my rope and glove in the trailer, so I got to borrow a glove, and oh, man, I didn't put enough rubber on my, hor- on my horn because I wasn't paying attention to that because I've been setting up the roping for the past week and a half. Mm. Oh, man, I got to put more rubber on here, or I'm borrowing a saddle, and the stirrups don't go short enough. Mm-hmm. Like, every one of these things has happened, right? Right. And then it's, and then it's like, okay, go, let's go rope. Right. You know, well, it's, it pays $100,000 a man, and I'm just going to wheel in here on this horse that isn't warmed up with a rope that I've swung two times, a glove that doesn't fit, my stirrups are too long, and people always ask me, why aren't you roping more? Yeah. Well, none of that is fun. Yeah. No, none of that is because, because, like you, I have never one time backed in the box just because I think roping's cool. Yeah. Not one time. Right. Since I was 12 years old. I'm back in the box because I'm going to go win this sucker. Yeah. You know, I'm going to go catch two feet every single time. And it it's and it gets where it's almost embarrassing. You, you, might, you might be fine doing that at your local neighborhood. Local jackpot, where, yeah. Where everything's familiar to you. Your friend's yeah. familiar to you. The arena's familiar to you. Uh, your horse is familiar to you. You know, all that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, so, you know, speaking to that, it's like, Time does one of two things um, when pressure is applied. It either starts going at an accelerated rate, okay, Mm -hmm. or it's just so slow. It's like, when's this going to happen, right? Mm -hmm. And so, so the fact of the matter is, is you know that my advice, like uh, what Audra just said, is is you know what you normally do in an hour, you need to take three hours to do. You need to be real slow, real methodical, real purposeful. And full of intention, right? Um, well, f- you know, like yeah, I and, took a, yeah. And a trail ride the day that I roped just to do it, just to feel my horse out and, and you know, all those kinds of things. But again, we get what we train for. You know, get, getting beat in the tunnel. You win or lose in the tunnel. Yeah. That's, that, that's amazing to me. I'm sitting here telling you that I get beat in the tunnel, and I was there hanging the banners. I know the setup. Right. I know the setup. I've been there for a week already. But then you throw the competition on top of it. It's all, I mean, I'm just as blown up as the next guy. And the next guy hasn't even been there for a week, you know? Right, right. You know, so but I that, can't imagine. that's because you know, like, the arena, like, that doesn't necessarily mean you're prepared exactly. for what's happening. Yeah. Exa- that's exactly what I'm saying. Like, it makes no difference. And it's almost, so then, then the, and this is very self-serving, but then you, you know, you're talking about, well, you're, you know, you're, your wife and there's three fans and the people, well, I got my buddy Farron or TC or whatever on the stupid microphone, right. you know, and, and yeah, and the flagger who I had dinner with, and Audra's going to laugh at me because she's super <laughs> competitive. So, you know what I mean? It's and, and you're there, and Anthony's there, and everybody else is there, and it's like, yo, here's the guy that used to put on YouTube videos who catches his horse's front leg while he's running down the arena. Right. But you know what's funny? I'll say this, Drew, and, and this is something Coach Baxter just said. People don't care as much as you think they mm-hmm. care about. Correct. They care about themselves and what they're doing. But you have you said all these people are going to make fun and care. Honestly, I I probably won't be watching. I'm going to be working on something else. Yep. Your friends yep. are going to be there supporting you, and you know you may catch hell from your wife or something. But at the end of the day, not as many people care about you as as you think they do. Yeah, um, but we're all guilty of that, right? We are all we're all guilty of that. You're absolutely right i just i just read a book about this the other day i can't remember 
um, if it was in one of the Goggins books or what. But it's, yeah, it's like quit thinking that everybody cares about you. But we still do, and I'm I'm really guilty of it just because of the nature of what I do. Right. You know, it's like oh my gosh, you, you know, I can't be an idiot out here. Well, really, nobody nobody really cares. That's just you putting that stupid amount of pressure on yourself. You know, it's thoroughly entertaining for me. You know, when I, when I go to the, one of these events, okay, and, and you know, I got my, my jeans on and my long sleeve shirt, my cowboy hat, which is kind of my preferred dress of choice anyway, you know, most days, okay? But, you know, I'm just a guy there that entered up. I'm not the ball coach, right? But yet, I have this whole thing that I do for a living going on in my head, Yeah. you know? And yeah. And then I see these people, you know, like come out of your, I'm thinking too much. Yeah, Well, let me tell you, my friend, you're thinking when you should be reacting. The time to think was in the practice pen. There was plenty of time for that. The time to think was on the sawhorse. Okay. Mm-hmm. The time to think was when you were loping circles and just spinning your rope. Right. Time to think was, you know, in that time right before you walked down. Okay. So the funny thing is there's there's a lot of intel in kind of the words people use. You know what they've told you? They have they're not prepared. Called the light switch. Yep, and they're not prepared. Like like how much coach with your kids when when you regardless of winning the game, okay? Like what you just said. So you, so the team beats you, but you didn't beat yourself. But when you have your guys on your team and Audra, this is the same for you. When you walk out on the field and you know you're prepared, there's a different aura about everything that happens that day, isn't there? I mean, a different, like when I back in the box and know that for the past three weeks I've been roping, I've been healing 50 a day, mm-hmm. I'm not worried. Right. I, and, you know, I'm, I'm pressured up because I'm pressured up, but I'm, you're not worried. You're, because you know, look, I have caught a thousand steers in the last month by two feet. Right. You know? and, and so it's, it's finding that verbiage or that picture, or that thing that works for you, okay? So like you just said, hey, I've been, I've been roping 50, you know, I've, you, know, you know, I'm in a good place. Okay, like I say, aim small, make small, okay? My, my mindset that, that time I went to the finale, which I plan on going back to at some point, was I only got to catch one. Mm-hmm. Anybody can catch one. Mm-hmm. And I just kept telling myself, I only got to catch one. Where's that come from? Okay. Well, that comes from training quarterbacks. Okay. It's third and eight. I only got to convert this down. I don't have, I don't worry. I got to convert this down. I got to be all in for this play. Okay. Mm -hmm. And having that ability to compartmentalize these. And then the next thing is, was a little piece of advice you gave me that I didn't realize was going to happen. I didn't know I'd never been there. You said, Hey, if you don't rope your first steer, you still get to go to your second one. And I'm like, I do? Mm-hmm. And if I wrote my second one, am I still in? Yeah, because it's, you know, it's what you do on three or whatever else. Mm-hmm. So then that sort of took the pressure off that it's not a hey, all in on one. But I said, I just got to rope one. And if I rope one, then I rope another one. And so too many people play the game in advance or in, in arrears. And it's like the game yeah. is now. You know, there's a term that we have in football that you can't let a team beat you twice. When Alabama was on their 10-year run, which they've, you know, okay, Tennessee beat them this past year and, and, you know, Georgia beat them and whatever else, okay? But when Alabama beat you, they usually beat you twice. Mm 
And what that means is they beat you this week and they beat you next week because you're so down from that game and the next time you play them. Wow. And so you can't let a run beat you twice. It is what it is. It's an isolated situation. If it went your way, great. Put it in the win column. If it didn't go your way, learn what you got to learn and move on. So we always say clean your guns, bury your dead, move on. You get a W and L on every run. What's that? You either win or you learn. Mm -hmm. <laughs> win or you learn. That's that's you win or you learn. Yeah. Well, and, and I say that I say that all the time because volleyball is a, a game of error. It's whoever makes the least amount of errors is the winner of the game. It's always about error, right? So if you're focused on the error that you make, it usually compounds into two or three or four versus learning from that error and then fixing it. And I have that conversation with the kids all the time. Yeah. In other words, what information can I take from that last run that I mm -hmm. can use and then play forward? Correct. Mm -hmm. And so we always say a mistake doesn't become a problem until you refuse to correct it. So how many times, Drew, have you seen somebody make a mistake and then they go back and do it again? They say, oh, I always do that. That's because they didn't learn. So that's the whole thing is, is this, this mindset of, you remember um, early on when we began talking, you know, I talked about that a great coach doesn't coach the symptom, they coach the cause. The receiver just dropped a pass. Darn it, you got to catch that ball. Well, you, me, and everybody else knows that. What created the drop? Well, maybe the ball was above his, his chest, so he's got to turn his thumbs in. Maybe maybe he's got to, he's going to run inside, he's got to get his top hand on the ball. Okay, maybe he started to run before he saw it all the way in. Coach the cause. So when I say win or learn, okay, I might have dumped my rope. Well, what was the cause? Well, I overrode my horse, okay, and I got in too close, and then I panicked and dumped the rope. I mean, I don't know, but, you know, so if I ever come up to you or I go up to Crease Harris or I go up to, you know, one of my friends, I say, hey, what did I do? What I'm saying is give me some information I can take forward. Mm -hmm. I don't really care what happened. It's over now. That's what I say about serving when I hear coaches yell, don't miss your serve after they miss their serve. It's like, OK, well, obviously, everyone in the whole world can see that they miss their serve. There's a sp specific reason where their hand is placed, what their feet are doing, where they're looking what they're thinking about as they're contacting the ball, you know, same thing. Well, you're hitting, so. actually, you just hit on a hugely important point. Okay, and this goes back to Dennis Waitley, who has now passed away. But Dr. Dennis Waitley, in The Psychology of Winning, talked about the mind does not work on the reverse of an idea. You cannot motivate somebody on the reverse of an idea. So what does that oh, yeah. Whatever you do, don't kick the ball right. You're lined up on the tee in golf. And there's water on the right and sand on the left. Whatever you do, don't hit the ball in the water. See, the mind does not undo that statement. Right. Whatever you do, don't hit the ball in the water. You just take the word don't out. And what you just said is whatever you do. Is what it's going to be. You mm -hmm. hit the ball in the water. You're left yep. dominant thought. And there's a famous example from 33 years ago when I coached at Arizona. Our quarterback was Ronnie Veal. And it was fourth or it was third and two. And we had the game won. All we had to do is take the ball down the line, okay, and at worst punt the ball or at best get the first down. And we were a triple option team, and he came down the line. And during the timeout, his position coach, who will remain nameless, said, Ronnie, whatever you do, don't pitch. Whatever you do, don't pitch. Set, go. What do you think Ronnie did? Pitched. Ball on the ground, fumble. 
They line up, recover, lines up, recovers it, kicks a field goal, we lose. Wow. Statement should have been, Ronnie, whatever you do, you hold the ball the entire time. The ball is yours and yours only. Yep. Tell them what you want, not what you don't want. Okay. Yep. And for me, what I do is I say, eyes to the hip, hands to the hock. Eyes to the hip, hands to the hock. And so in healing, that's all I'm telling myself going down the arena. Eyes on the hip. Okay. Head, hip, hock. See the head out, eyes on the hip. And when I go down, I try to see my hand come down and finish to the hock. And that gives me the best chance. But I'm telling myself what I want. And I have a much greater chance of getting it if I'm programming for it. Well, Coach, I, I, I sure appreciate listening to both of you go back and forth from the coach's perspective. And, and John, you, you, know, you have helped me with the mental game so much. And, and this is a podcast we could do over and over and over because we didn't, we didn't even talk about some of the, you know, the other type of stuff. But, man, I think for ropers out there at any level, you just heard it from a guy who coaches at the highest level and ropes at a number three and to put that together like if you can't if you can't take something away from that it's crazy like i'm going to coach t-ball tonight we start our first tournament and i'm like you audrey like i'm thinking about these things like how do i teach my kids this because we're always so negative and that's i don't want them to think that way i want them to think positive i don't want to coach positive right you know oh well you know Stop! Don't don't look at me. Look at the ball. Everything we say is wrong. Everything we say is backwards. It's all backwards. But well, yeah. Just anyway. focus on what to teach them. You know. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Well, here's exactly. here. Hey, by the way, though, you, would you just say you're coaching your kids' t-ball team? Okay. Let me give you the first rule of coaching. If I haven't ever given it to you before, the neighbor always has to tell your kid to choke up on the bat. Amen. <laughs> you are, but in your house, you're an idiot. Yep. There's no way that this guy that shares the same average air that I share could know anything. There's no way. I see him every day. Mm-hmm. Amen to that. Well, thanks so much, uh, Coach, for having for being on here with us. Uh, we really appreciate your time, and hopefully maybe we can do a little recap at the end of the summer and kind of kind of go over a few other things that we wanted to talk about. So I really appreciate you being here. So, and taking out time of your day, I know you guys got a big, busy schedule. So, well, that'd be great. I, I appreciate both of you and, and a chance to talk about this stuff. Cause I think it's a, uh, it's a, uh, it's a topic of high value because it's the least talked about and probably the most useful. Yes, sir. Amen. Well, thank you both. Sure. Appreciate it. Thanks coach. Okay.